I'm so excited. We have a special guest and she just published a new book that I think you're going to find interesting and hilarious and heartwarming and, and, and fun. Um, even though it's filled with some mom advice, you know, sometimes we don't think of mom advice as much fun, but this is fun. Our guest today is Julianne Bosch and she just published in April, I believe I'm getting that right, a book called How a Mother Took Her First Step on the Moon. And I love the title and I love the idea of writing a book as a gift to your children on your 50th birthday. But Julianne, I could I could go through your entire bio and read it, but what I really want is for our listeners to hear your story from your mouth. Tell us who you are. Tell us I, I don't know what keeps you up at night. What's most important to you and how you got right here. Well, thank, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, what keeps me up at night? Um, <laughs> my three adult children, I will say, give me a little bit of a, uh, a course to keep worrying. It doesn't matter. Little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. It's still, you still worry about them. Um, but about myself, I am a career and life coach. I, I've been married 28 years. I've moved 13 times to four continents, and I was uh, about to have my 50th birthday, and I was dreading being half of 100, and I have a cousin that um, unfortunately was diagnosed with anaplastic thyroid cancer, and we were sitting there, and she said, all I can pray is my goal is to make it to my next birthday. And after that birthday is my next birthday. And it really kind of kicked me in the pants. And it said, wow, if A, I had um, the knowledge that it was a finite time, what would I do? And that's what spurred the writing of this book. And then um, because of my work, I, I really wanted to help mothers and new mothers in the trenches at this point kind of align with what I do for a living is coaching is be a mother with intention and help them not tell them what to do, but give them a little piece of advice and then craft the framework for their own lives of what advice they want to take and how they want to uh, decipher kind of where they're going and, and help their children to be the best versions of themselves that they can possibly be. So am I hearing you correctly? When Do you primarily coach moms or do you just coach anybody who? Yes. My, my intention is I, I love moms between the ages of 28 and 48 because I've had, um, well, I, I hate to say that now I have a 50 year old mom that has twins that she just adopted twins. So executive mom, um, doesn't have to be uh, <laughs> a mom that's working, but has worked trying to figure out kind of that work-life balance and where she's headed. And we all admit it, we have chaos and, and thought processes of, am I doing the right thing right now for me? And um, so, yes, I, I love coaching moms and executive moms. So, Well, and twins in particular provide their own amazing set of circumstances. And you had twins, right? Yes, I did. I had. Um, Tell us about your kids. Um, I have uh, twins, a boy, a girl that are now 24. One's in Chicago, one's in New York, um, both just thriving uh, successfully. And then I, my baby is 21 and she just graduated from college in California and she is also heading to New York. She will be a consultant. So I'm uh, thrilled. They have 
far exceeded what I thought that they would do in their lives. And they just humbled me because they do it with a lot more graciousness and volunteering and they get out there and do things that I'm like, wow, I wish I did that in my twenties. <laughs> so. Right. Instead of, I, I don't know what your twenties were like, but mine were sort of like just surviving yeah. the place that I had gotten. And, 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 and of course my kids were little in my twenties, but I, I want to hear, um, so there are several things that I, you know, I really loved and I'm, and I'll be honest, I just read like the first two chapters of the book because I, you know, we, we do this schedule rather quickly, but, um, first of all, I love your style of writing. It seems, you know, in, in your bio, you talk about celebrating, um, the fun parts and the serious parts. Well, I'm, I got to tell you, you write in sort of a celebratory manner. Anyway, it's really joyous, yeah. which, which I, which I love. I mean, how, um, how are you going to impart any sort of intentional? I, I, I don't even know. I, I, I mean, the, the minute I say this, it sounds really dead and boring and, you know, intentional wisdom or help to a young mother. If it's not, um, humorous and joyous at the same time, because that seems to me what mothering, what parenting is like anyway. Yeah. Well, I think, um, <laughs> as you say, it, with, uh, with age comes wisdom. I realized, you know, this was of all the jobs and occupations. Um, I just had this reality kick of, of this was the best job in the world. And we're not like taught that nobody says, Hey, you get a big bonus or, <laughs> um, so I wrote the book um, showing you some of my failures, some of the things that I, I humorously um, reflected on and went, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I did that. Not, not to tell you like this is the way to do it, because if you look at the pieces of advice, they're pretty standard. I mean, maybe my mother and my grandmother taught me some of these, but I wanted you to look at, or I wanted mothers to look at, okay, this happened to her, this is her advice, but for example, integrity you know, what is your stance on that? What are you allowing to say no? What are you allowing to say yes? But knowing that Julianne kind of uh, messed it up, um, I think it also gives moms the ability to say, hey, she just gave me permission to like, I'm going to fail. It's going to happen. But as a mother, you know, it's like having that grace to um, embrace this is the best job. I'm going to keep working at it because the children at the end are worth the investment. And um and now I'm reaping the rewards of that. So I want to help um, mothers kind of understand that there's no perfect solution. There's no perfect advice, but take bits and pieces and adapt it to what best fits for you and your family and then like lock it in. And I think that is something that, you know, the world is chaotic right now. We have pandemic, we have war, we have uh, men telling us, you know, this is the law and you can't do X, you know, and I think if we create kind of that safety zone at home, they're able to, our children are able to go out into the world and say, oh, that doesn't align with my values and my beliefs. This is what I've been taught. This is what I have conversations with my parents about. And I know this about me. And then I can say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Yep, I'm going to do that. And I, and I see my children, because I created that safety zone kind of framework, they are able to navigate the world so much better than we did at our 20s because they know who they are in their 20s stronger. And I think that's what we can provide our kids at this crazy time of being on the earth. So 
Well, you said something really important there, because in addition to all that chaos, you said there's no perfect way to do it. And I just last week on the podcast had a young woman who has children who I believe are now five and six, but they, I mean, they're 13 months apart. And I don't know, I, I don't know if it's harder to have twins or to have kids who are 13 months apart. I have no idea. I know babies present their own challenge and then toddlers present a crazy challenge. And, and so, but what we talked about and what I think is really important and probably refreshing about the way you write is that, is that there's also these voices in their head and these images on the on Instagram that say, wow, everyone is doing this better than I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't have Instagram and I still thought everybody was doing this better than I was. I don't know how it was for you, but you know, I have two kids and they're, I think they're perfect now. But at the time I thought, man, I'm getting, I'm so getting this wrong. Yeah. And, and I think, um, in this book, you know, there are moments when I, I was like, gosh, do I put that out in the world? But, you know, we show up at a bake sale as a mom and your cupcakes look like droopy blobs of something. <laughs> and then, you know, you have, you know, the mother that made them like Martha Stewart. So, I, or, or you totally forget the yeah. bake sale, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. And yeah. so I was that. Yeah. Mom. Well, I just, that's where I kind of want to give mothers the the breath of fresh air and say, okay, you know, this is, this is a reality check. This is what I can't accomplish. I'm not that perfect Instagram photo. Um, you know, it's lucky sometimes that, you know, I, my underwear was put on inside out, you know, at times. And, and I write about those so that, um, not only I could help mother mothers, but I hope one day when my own daughters are mothers, they can look at it and say, Hey, this is what my mom experienced. And I have a little bit more compassion and a little bit more understanding for the choices she made, because I think we are as women a little bit hard on why did my mom do that? Or why does she talk about that? Or, you know, so it, it also, you know, I've, I've been given kind of the decades advice, um, one mother wrote me, thank you so much for your book. I read it. I don't have grandkids yet, but I created an email address for my unborn grandkids and I'm documenting my memories right now so that they have them in case something should happen to me. And that was like the biggest compliment to me is to know that we're starting to get out of the box a little bit. The book has provoked some pivot to say, hey, I want to make sure if this grandma gave me an example. I got in an accident today. This is what I did, grandchild. <laughs> it wasn't the best. I, you know, I didn't call the police and now I'm dealing with these issues or things that are happening that I, you know, took on a cuff at that time. But then with that legacy or that memory piece, um, it helps our kids like navigate. My, my mom didn't know all the answers and I, nor do I, because we have not been challenged with all the social media that our kids have right now. And I think they can see what we've accomplished to this point. And then knowing that that information kind of navigate things and say, okay, this is what I'd hold true. And how do I want to go forth? And how do I want my kids to kind of navigate social media? I mean, I, I write a book about, um, I told my kids, um, that if their great grandmother, Yaya Maria, saw something on social media, would you be okay with her questioning you about that picture or something? And my kids were like, oh, gads, you know? <laughs> like, and 
it still holds true today just because of that one provocative question. Um, and I'm proud to say, you know, it's kept kind of that Audrey Hepburn look for, for my girls, you know, and, uh, sure, maybe something slipped or something didn't go the right way. But I, I do believe that if we kind of keep leaving this women's legacy piece, it will help our daughters and our kids of our daughters and sons um, to kind of navigate a little bit more in that first step. And that's kind of how that book came about is it's just this first step. It's fearful. Being a mother is not an easy task. It's not an easy mission. So, so you, I do, I want to talk about that that piece about how we can start to document our advice. But first I want to talk about some of, some of your favorite pieces of advice. Let's just, you know, I always want our listeners to have really practical pieces to take away. And I certainly want people to get this, you know, a snippet of your book so that they want to buy the entire book and read it. But sure. So, so in practical terms, what do you think, uh, what have you heard back from readers that they're finding the most helpful other other than the piece about documenting their own advice? Um, I, I write one uh, storyline uh, called Use Interesting Instead. The world is changing. We're seeing things differently. And um, I taught my kids because of a teacher who said, In, when you when your children see something that is not their norm, we want to use the word interesting instead. And so my kids actually taught me this. They came home and told me, mom, this is what we're supposed to say. And I was like, hmm, that's a great piece of advice. So then take that uh, along a 15, 20 years of moving all over the country and you're seeing cultures and, and um, you know, events that are not normal for me. I would in... Um, uh, how do you say it? I, in when I was in um, situations of dinners or things like that, and it wasn't something I was accustomed to, I would say, "Hmm, that's interesting," and it always saved me. It always gave me that time to kind of just reflect and say, "Okay, I don't know what that is to eat, or I don't know what this custom is that I'm supposed to say." And and now we have all these different cultures coming into what was kind of our norm or our neighborhood. But if we keep that piece of advice of interesting, I think it opens up doors instead of closing the door and, and making things harder for yourself. So I have heard a lot about that chapter that they are teaching their kids to use interesting when they are laughing inside or giggling or, you know, unsure of what they're seeing. That's so funny because I had a coach when I was in it, well, a business coach who said I would come in and and I would say, oh, this thing happened and this thing happened. And I, this client is making me crazy. And instead of saying, well, you know, let's figure that out. She would wave her hands in the air and she'd say, that's so interesting. Now, what's the answer? She would never, it was, yeah. it was, and it wasn't that she refused to sympathize with me. It was that she's, it, that was her response to, to get me to the next step. So it sounds Somewhat similar. It just brought that yeah. memory back where um, she it, what, she wouldn't feed my angst. She would just say, well, how interesting. What's next? Yeah. And, and as a client, I mean, I, I'm sure you felt too like she didn't judge you to say, oh, well, that's not important or let's move on from there. I find it's open doors. And now my kids even use it in situations. And, and if we can keep 
teaching them vocabulary and, and the way to present themselves, I think it just only serves your child um, when they're out in the world looking for a job or <laughs> meeting new people or starting a new club of friendship through in work or school. Um, but that, that chapter has struck a chord with many of my mothers so far. And uh, I'm appreciative. I'm glad I put it in there because it was, I wasn't quite sure about that. Um, on the flip note, you know, I, I wrote um, a chapter about uh, don't assume you know all the facts. And I tell about a funny story about um, how I was in a rush and I went to the gynecologist and I quickly cleaned up down below and I got in there and he was looking at me like, wow, this is a fiesta, you know? And I'm thinking, oh gosh, this guy's creepy. Ah! You know, I need to change, right. you know, <laughs> OBGYNs. And uh, little did I know that my dear sweet child had been guarding her glitter in a washcloth. And I happened to use that washcloth going to the OBGYN. So, and I tell that story that, <laughs> yeah, so he was thinking, wow, she got all decorated for me. Whereas I'm thinking, this guy is creepy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he was super professional, was very much a doctor. And, uh, um, but your brain thought went somewhere else. And so I just, um, I use that as an example of saying, as a mother, you may come into a system of you think that this is the right answer, but don't know kind of what's going on in the background. And, and it's a funny story, but at the same time, that one has also hit home because, you know, women are able to laugh. Like, I can't believe you wrote about that, you know? And I said, well, it was an embarrassing moment. So I thought I needed to share that. Yeah. Embarrassing stuff happens, but it's how you roll with it right. afterwards. Right. So. Right. And did you have, I mean, you talk about, um, staying consistent, even though, I mean, you moved Tell which, which continents have you lived on with your kids? Uh, we lived in Asia. So we were in Tokyo, Japan. We lived in Europe. I was in Dublin, Ireland, I lived in uh, Mexico, so Mexico City, and all over the United States. And um, then prior to our children, we did a little bit of stint in South America. So, so with kids, I'm, I'm curious, um, I mean, how do you keep things consistent? Because it seems to, I think consistency always wins. I mean, even when, when you don't know yeah. anything else, as especially with kids, as long as they know, like, where they're sleeping, where their blanket is, as long... I'm just curious about what, what you would tell moms about consistency and how you maintain it. That is the one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the only way I was able to handle languages and cultures. And it was what happens in our home is the law, you know, at this point, you know, bedtime is that that doesn't change. It doesn't matter if we're, um, you know, out in a different culture where that they stay up. I mean, my Spanish in-laws in that, you know, would stay up until one, two in the morning and not even blink an eye. And I was like, do you have to deal with the baby at, you know, who has been going to bed at 2 a.m.? No, I do, <laughs> you know? So I think um, I just kept that consistency for my own sanity as a mother. Sometimes you question it, but even now that is the one thing that was, um, reliable and kids need that, um, solid base and that foundation. Like this is the rules of how my mom operates. It's just what it happens. Like I told them, you know, they could depend on me for anything as long as they told me all the facts, 
you know, I said, things happen. There's always a need for a plan B, but my kids to the testament where, um, my son got older and they, they put all the boys of a classroom into a room and they said, you can discuss any un, you know, unpopular topic. And they had a policeman in there and they had a couple um, high profile positions. And they said, who here, if you were like put into jail, would call your mom? And my son said, mom, I was almost wow. the only one that raised my hand. And that was an impact on him because he said, to me, it, it showed me that I had the trust even when he was in his teens. That That is so interesting because we, listen, I'm using that word, uh, even, um, and, and this is sort of a hard topic and certainly we can edit it if you want to, but I've even, even after the ruling last week, I've thought if, 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 if parents were more willing to hear that they had kids who were in a tough spot in terms of reproductive rights. Um, it seems that we, people that, that, that as parents and as, and as children, people would, I mean, if, if there, if people were just more willing to be the parent who would listen, it seems that we would be in less of a crisis. I don't know that's a pretty heavy topic, but I've, I've, it's really been on my heart lately. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I just, I think it boils down to the communication that you are creating in your home. And I think, um, every story has, uh, two sides to it. And that's how I always tried to look at it as, you know, my mother hat has one side of that story. And then if I was her best friend or if I was his best friend, what's the side of the story of that? And again, I, you know, I dropped the ball many times, but I also had to say to my kids, I'm sorry, I, I made a mistake or, but that also shows your kids as they're growing older, um, that, that you're human, because I think it's this always like give or take there, there is a point where you're teaching your children. And then all of a sudden you start to learn from your own children. Like I, I, you know, I vividly remember my daughter become very, she became very active in the Black Lives Matter um, marches. And at one time she turned her cell phone off and I couldn't, I, I had no idea where she was. And that was a point where I realized I failed, that she couldn't sit down and talk to me about what she was feeling and what her needs were at that time to, to have a discussion of why um, she needed to turn her phone off to not show me kind of where she was and what she was doing. And of course your mind goes crazy thinking what's going to happen. And then I saw right. on the news, she was living in Los Angeles. The, the tanks arrived downtown and it's all I could think of is there's my daughter. She's going to be right there in front of them. <laughs> um, It'll but, be Tiananmen Square all over again. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, what was refreshing is I admitted to her, I said, then you didn't feel confident enough to have that discussion with me. And since then, she has given me, I mean, tons of books. Knowledge is power. And she's given me books and it has opened my frame of mind to think about things differently. And that's all I ask parents to do is, is open a communication that you, you may not change your way of, or your belief, that's okay. You, you know, like we're talking about this, um, abortion law, you may have something that is set, but the fact that you sit down and you have communication that your child can say, this is my point of view. This is where I'm coming from. I think that's healthy because they have so much that we never had 
as young adults or even young children um, that we didn't experience. So if they can have those communications and those um, healthy conversations, I think you are creating a home of learning and a home of forward thinking, regardless of if you're conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter um, because, you know, you want your child to feel uh, safe enough to have conversations in the spot that they should be able to have conversations. Well, I, I agree a hundred percent with all of that. And I also think there's something about making, letting them know that they have so much value that there's, nothing they can say that's ever going to change the way you feel about them. I guess that's, you know, as long as your kids understand unconditional love, which I grew up with and I hope I've given to my kids, but you know, if they feel that their position is precarious, um, that I, I, they may be unwilling to share things that are hard with their parents at times. So, yeah, well, I think it was like, it came first full circle for me. I, I was given another opportunity for a podcast and I sat down with three young black fathers and we had the communication about parenting with intention. And I said, right there, that is what all this is about. If communication doesn't happen and a book sparks an interest, um, then, you know, why, why did you put and invest the time in writing a book? But for me, it was such a gratification of just having that conversation with these very intelligent young men. And they wanted to prevent their daughters becoming pregnant at a young age. And what, what's the conversation? How do we start that? What do we do? And I was like, wow, how refreshing. I said, how old's your daughter? And he's like four. I said, go take her to the grocery store right now and show her how much diapers cost and how much formula costs and have practical conversations on things that you can talk about right now, meaning it's expensive to have a child. So be ready for that obligation because I love you to death as a four-year-old in my life. And I want you to know that I want you to have the best of education and the best of the things that I can provide for you on your back. But that was kind of like my biggest win is when I sat there and and talked to these three very smart men and they wanted solutions for their own children um, in a totally different world than mine. So that was, you know, a a step on the moon, a first step on the moon for me as a mom. So. Well, I guess I should ask you, where does the title of the book come from? Well, I was sitting there. um, My girlfriend used to be an American greetings um, and Hallmark designer. And we, she got a new puppy and we were in her front yard picking up dog poo. So natural, (laughs) you know, mom things that we do. And I kept saying, God, the book that, you know, we used the whole time with our kids was good night moon. And every mom I know somehow picks that up in a library. And so we did a spoof off of that. She drew that uh, cover for me and we did a spoof off of the good night moon and did it as Kind of a mother with a Neil Armstrong, you know, this is scary. We're taking a, a step on the moon, but it's right. looking through the window, kind of like good night moon. And um, my father, who is such a big impact on me, um, always gave me some flowers. And so it was sitting on the um, window seal. He has since passed away. And I, I'm fortunate only I have my mother left, but I just, it was kind of a nod to him. Like, thank you for allowing me that first step. That's so cool. Well, so, so talk about the other piece. 
talk about you're you're a mom and you're you know a mom like me. I'm 61. I'm a mom. I'm a grandmother. Um, how do how do we start to preserve those memories and that advice? That's that's important. I mean, if not everybody's written a book like you have, Julianne. So how how do we start to preserve that? Well, because we I want love, our kids to know us. Yeah. What what I loved about um, the way I set this book up was is I don't ask. Um, questions of motherhood, I ask you questions about your own beliefs and your values. And I ask you to journal them in the book, which is like against, you know, all the rules don't write in books, you know, and I ask you to write as a journal. That's why I put it as a keepsake journal and write what your thought processes are in the book about those stories. And then I ask you to kind of start thinking about what you're grateful for. And then I ask you one time a month to write those memories of, you know, great things that happen to you with your grandkids or to you with your own children. And then all of a sudden you'll see you have already started a memory keepsake. And I'm proud to say I'm starting, we're about three-fourths done. I'm starting book two and it's how she took her first step on the moon. I interviewed mothers all over the world. And it's the next step of this journey of collecting your um, memories and your advice. And so it's a foundation piece to start uh, thinking about what you want to um, encapsulate <laughs> in the ground or a time, a time capsule of, um, you know, when have you laughed at yourself? I think if I had that piece to, to, read about my grandmother, I would hold that so close to my heart of when she was feeling that, you know, she couldn't laugh at herself. Um, so it asks those questions in the book to journal right there in the book. And I hope that it will hand down to one mother, to the next mother, to the next mother, um, to kind of write down what they're thinking or what they were grateful for at that time. Um, and I know in your podcast, you do that a lot with gratitude. And, and I think, it's just a big piece of the, the gratitude. We have been given a gift to be mothers. Well, and I, I really like the idea of, of even, you know, because moms are so busy. Um, parents are, are so frequently overwhelmed and, and there aren't enough hours in the day. So, so the idea, you know, when, when we talk about gratitude practice, we talk about, you know, you wake up in the morning, you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. But what you are suggesting is that you set aside a time once a month to talk about um, who you are in that moment and what you're most grateful for. And it seems like that, I mean, it's always important to write it down, but it seems like that's a, a manageable piece, you know, pick a day, pick the last day of the month or the first day of the month. I don't, I don't know how you've structured it um, or if it's intentional um, in terms of the, day that you choose. But I do like the idea of saying, I'm going to give this an hour of my time on the 28th of each month or on the, you know, the, the third Sunday when my kids are finally taking a nap. Um, yeah. I do like the idea of, of, of not making it a daily practice in terms of you got to write it all down every single day. That's, that's hard work when you have kids, yeah. little or big. Well, and I think I, I will tell you, this book came from total love of all of that. I called them scratch notes and I would write down things that would happen. And this book is a cum accumulation of all those scratch notes. 
And um, people ask me, gosh, how did you write it in two months? I said, well, it's been happening for 24 years. Right, I mean, I've been right. collecting my scratch notes and it just kind of all came together with my profession and, you know, what I wanted to give as a gift to my kids of gratitude. Thank you for letting me be your mother. Um, but I think that is the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, you may think something so minute, like I, I to this day vividly remember my son rode his bike to a friend's on his own. And I remember I sat down and I wrote a scratch note, like today I'm gratitude. He made it from point A to point B. That was it. <laughs> and I was so grateful for, you know, he made it alive. He crossed a major street and, you know, he was in grade school and I thought, gosh, you know, he's a big kid now. It could be as simple as that, but I'm telling you, I have such joy when I go back to that scratch note and I say, you know, he has become this glorious man that helps others um, because he simply crosses the street sometimes. <laughs> and I just, you know, it's, it, it somehow, right. it keeps building on itself from that. And tell me about the advice that you give moms about taking care of themselves, because I, it seems that that's something that that as parents and I, and I, and I don't, and not just moms, but they do seem to um, get the bulk of some of the hard work. What do you, what do you say about self-care? I, I wrote a whole chapter on it because I thought, you know, um, I, <laughs> I keep going back to, you know, with, with time, wisdom is knowledge. And my mother-in-law always kind of gave me the excuse like, Hey, every so often hire that cleaning lady to make your house look glorious for at least five hours. After that, it may look like a bomb again, but I, I, I owe it to her. She kind of, she always had her nails done. She always like made a little extra appointment here or there for a facial or something like that. And I was like, gosh, and I don't know if that's because she was European and, you know, as an American, I was like, oh, we just don't do that. But I really wrote that chapter, um, to carve out and say to young moms, it's okay. You know, it's okay that you stop and you take a breath for yourself and you honor that this job is really hard. There's no time off. There's no bonus structure. There's no um, pay raise. You know, it is what it is. It is the hardest job out there. And um, that's why I dedicated a whole chapter and telling you um, it's something that I realized as my kids were teenagers, that it was a non-negotiable. And in the beginning, I did it a little bit, but it wasn't something I was accustomed to. So I, I do think that it's important. That's why I wrote a whole chapter. And I ask you a very powerful question at the end of that chapter. And um, if anything, I hope that it just makes a young mother pause and say, what am I doing? How do I manage all of this? Because we don't give self-assessment for all the good things we're doing. <laughs> and maybe wow, we, that's so true. Yeah. And maybe we just need that, that question of how do you manage it? How do you manage it all? <laughs> um, well, and the other, the other part is if you never take a moment off, then you never get to assess where you are. Right. I mean, you, um, I mean, that's true for anybody in business, but especially for, for parents, if you don't, I mean, even if you don't, you know, go to dinner and leave your kids at home, you don't have time to talk about the things you're, that you're doing well. Yeah. And, um, and that's another thing that I think 
um, maybe couples tend to do, especially when they get along together, they talk about all the ways that they need to improve, improve, improve. And I, and you talk about celebrating, you got to celebrate, right? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, if, if I could go back and I could change things about the way I raised my own three children is to digest a little bit of the failures and say it was okay. If, if you meet my three kids, it's over and over and over again, depending on, you know, they've moved a million times, but yet they are very personable and they love to talk to people and take the time to sit and look them in the eye and, and find out what makes them tick. And that is my biggest, like, it doesn't matter if this person's 99 or if it's a 10 year old, I've taught them that people matter. And I think if you are able to manage it and see the result, if you could like fast forward your kids till if they're four and they're now 24 and you can envision what that human is going to look like, it will remind you that they are going to get there. They're not going to be wearing diapers and they're not going to be doing all the things. <laughs> right, right. You're like, you'll never stop. They're not going to suck their thumb into the fourth grade. They're really not. But yeah. I, I, well, I think I think that's important advice for life, though. You gotta you gotta t- unplug and um, take time to say, you know, it wasn't perfect, but wow, did we get a lot of that right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And I and I look at um, young moms right now, and um, I ha- I had a breakfast with one of my clients this morning, and she's expecting one, and it's it's a lot of anxiety, and I remember that, and so that's where I. I push and I say, just write it down. Cause that also takes out some of the, the fear, the fear factor is, okay, I've written something down and you'll look at that a month from now and you'll say, okay, I, I don't believe that anymore, but that got me to where I am now. So what am I going to do now to kind of look at from a month from now? So it's able to digest all of this big, enormous task of parenting your child in little bite-sized pieces. You know, I had a, a cousin that I really admire who said to me before I had kids, she's, I said, how do you have such great kids? And she said, you know, Bunny, I think my only job, I've always thought my only job is to raise kids that I'm going to like as adults. Yeah. And so that's, that is, that was her intent all the time was, you know, I wouldn't want an adult to, to behave in this manner. So I've got to be intentional about teaching my children not to behave in this manner. And, uh, and I took that to heart. And, and so other, so talk real, I, I know we don't have a lot of time to talk, but I just, so when you talk about parenting with intention, we've kind of gone around and around it, but, but say, you know, like if you were going to give three strong pieces of advice to the mother of a six-year-old today, what, what would you say? What's the best way to parent with intention? Well, you nailed it on the head with your cousin's advice is have that simple mission statement. Every company is like that. We have a mission statement. So it's, I want to have a child that I like as an adult. That's first, have your mission statement, have your purpose. (laughs) Yeah. So simple. The second one is have to have a safety zone group in your house. It doesn't matter what the topic is, say here, this is where you get your answers. This is where you get your information. And if I don't know, we're going to investigate it together. We're going to knowledge is power. We're going to get it together and we're going to understand it and, wait, and know wait, that. 
I, I, so give an example. I mean, do you actually like sit with your kids and say, this is the safety zone or is it sort of implied? I, I mean, yes. From the very beginning, my kids knew that no topic was untouchable. Drugs, alcohol, uh, sex, anything. I brought it up and it started at the dinner table and my husband was like, oh my gosh. And it started young. <laughs> my husband, I think, had some more like swallow moments than my kids did. <laughs> um, but the plan worked when one time, and I write a story about that in this book, is my daughter came home and she did not want to talk to me. And she said, I have a safety zone question. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is it. This is my moment, my mom moment. She's like, it's not you, mom. I want to talk to my brother. And I was like, whoa. And I, I was nosy. I wanted to know what was going on, but she heard about masturbation in school, had no clue what it was, knew that it involved male parts and wanted to talk to him about what that was, what it felt like, why. And she's like, well, you don't have it, mom. So I want to talk to him. I want to know what he's thinking about this. And my son, and I, again, I make it, I make it a fun story, but my son came into the kitchen. He's like, great safety zone, mom. You know, thanks. I'm a teenage boy. <laughs> and uh, he prepared a very large chocolate milk in that moment. And he's like, just let me enjoy my chocolate milk. I'm a puberty child right now. And I'm or boy. And I said, and I need a chocolate milk, but that's the power of a safety zone. It, it, it allowed my daughter to talk about something uncomfortable with one of the members of the safety zone and discuss it and say, what is this? Boys are talking about it. I want the information, but I don't want to talk to you, mom. I want to talk to my brother. And that was like my shiny moment. I was like, gold star. I just won the Olympics. They, they went to each other, you know? <laughs> I love that. I love um, that. Yes. And then um, my biggest thing is, is, my third piece is that this is an opportunity to love and to develop the thinkers and doers of the next generation. Remind yourself of that. Um, you could have a Nobel Prize winner in your home. If we, if we assume they have that position from day one um, or the best educator in the world or the next activist in the world, if you assume that that is the person living in your home right now, what grace do you have to say, okay, they made a mistake, but this could be the next generation of something doer or thinker of, of mankind. And I guarantee you, you'll kind of look at your children and say, whoa, I've been given an amazing job. I'm a parent to this child. Um, and I think that's a mindset reframe. Wow. And just to go along with the theme of this podcast it's you always want to let them know that you're grateful for them i mean it's mm -hmm. what a gift mm -hmm. what a gift it is to get yeah. these children it is and it's, it's an endless i celebrate gift. that even more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's an endless yeah. gift but it's a gift <laughs> it is and uh you know as they grow older it's it's um something that's humbling to me that as a parent I survived, you know, you survive these things and you think, oh God, I'm never going to get sleep again in my life. I'm never going to, I'm never going to have my right. own body where I get to go to the bathroom by myself. You think that, but you do survive. And, um, I don't know. It is, it is the only piece of, um, worth it in the end. I mean, I lost, I've lost two parents and I, I, 
encourage your listeners that um, as far as that grateful piece is a blink of an eye, those parents can be gone. And this is what I have left to impart on them or this moment or these memories or what I have left. And, and I think that just puts it to a simpleness that um, it's a gift. It is. It really is. Well, Julianne, it's been such a gift to have you here. And I want to remind everybody again, tell us the name of the book. I can't get back. I want to, I want you to <laughs> how a mother took her first step on the moon. And they can find it at, we'll have a link to your website and to where they can find the book. And I can't wait to see the next one. And um, yes. I, let's talk again. This has been so much fun. Yes, I, I would love to. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. That's all we've got today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry, that's me, and my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. Also, follow us on Instagram at LifesavingGratitudePod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at bunnyterry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in. 